Let me add uh, my welcome to you and my commendation for your uh, toughness in being here this morning. Of course, coming from Canada, that's, this is not a very big deal, but I understand it's a, it is a big deal here in Cincinnati. want to uh, welcome uh, any, any uh, guests and new folks that are with us this morning. We're especially glad you're here. There's lots in here about how to get connected, and uh, we look forward to serving you while you're here. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward in this series to uh, engaging together and growing together in building uh, strong, godly families. So um, the, uh, uh, the picture up here on the board uh, is my developing family. And um, there we are. Uh, and I, uh, I put that up there. It, it looks really nice. We, we were on vacation uh, in Florida uh, this past November. And we've grown from uh, Marianne and I to now 15 of us, including our grandchildren. And um, they're, they're a lovely bunch. And it might, it might look, it might look uh, really good, uh, but I want to tell you, um, when we talk about family, a lot of times we can feel shame. We can feel like we've missed opportunities, like we've, you know, somehow uh, missed the boat. And I want to just encourage you, because our family is a story of it's never too late and you're never too old. Our story is a story of God's grace. And God has poured out his grace in two distinct ways. One is in, in, a, in remediating the negative effects of my sin. And I'll just speak of my own sin, but I can guarantee you the other 14 have plenty of their own sin as well. But uh, as some of you may know, in my life, uh, the sin of adultery, uh, drunkenness, gluttony, absentee or abdicating father, cowardice, pride, uh, all contributed to uh, trying to kill my family and ruin my family. And that's, that's what the enemy wanted. But God, but God, but God got a hold of me in 1996 and we began a journey uh, and uh, God remediated and filled in and took, as he promises in Isaiah, he filled in what the locusts had eaten in my family and in my life and uh, moved us on a path of restoration and overcoming our sin. And there was a second thing God did, which is in addition to the remediating of the negatives, he started putting in vision and he started putting in uh, the, the things from his word that we're going to look at in this series a blueprint for how to do family. And this came in sharp focus for me uh, in the end of the year 2000. Uh, and during that time, uh, my now mentor in the faith, Jerry Kirk, did a seven-week series uh, in, uh, in the church we were in up in Mason uh, on the subject of family and building strong families. And over the course of that series... I became uh, transformed by a vision for what my family could look like. In those days, Jerry's family line uh, with uh, daughter-in-laws and loves and, do- and son-in-loves was running around 50 people. And I spoke to him this week, and he's expecting great-grandchildren 
that will add to his family total and bring it up uh, over the course of this year to 88. Uh, 88. So they had five kids. They had five spouses of the five kids. They had 26 grandchildren. And now they're adding great-grandchildren. And even the first great-grandchild has recently gotten married. So what we are now is a family that's learning to overcome our history to become what Jesus has in mind. To become uh, in Jesus, uh, I believe, and I'm going to say this a lot of times in this series, that each and every one of us is designed to become an Abraham and a Sarah. Whether that is with physical, spiritual lineage or with spiritual lineage. Uh, we are, that's the vision that uh, God has put in front of us in Christ Jesus. So uh, we're going to explore together what the Bible says. And the headline is this. God has a very practical blueprint. And I believe his blueprint is that we become, uh, as families, overcoming multi-generational team of disciples filled with love and grace on mission to bring the kingdom into all our domains. That is the purpose uh, that God has put out on families. And that includes singles who are now in a family and later may have a family. That includes divorced and widowed people who are uh, men and women in our church who are part of an extended family and have influence on that extended family. That includes those who have no one left on this earth and then this body of believers is our family, is their family. And this vision, this blueprint is big enough and bold enough to allow many individual expressions. Many individual expressions. And God has a plan to make us fruitful and abundant uh, in our context. So pick up the idea of on mission, family on mission. And there's been a lot written about this uh, throughout Christian literature. But there's three general possibilities that you can be a family and your family can be your mission. And that, unfortunately, in a, in a biblical context, leads to idolatry, where we make the family essentially the, the focus and the God of, of our effort. You can have family and mission. That's where you try to do your family. And uh, for some of the time, you try to do mission. And you're constantly in competition between family and mission. And people, especially pastors who've done this, family and mission, they have oftentimes, you know, uh, ignored or neglected their families to carry out their mission. Or we can neglect the mission to carry out family because it's a double-minded kind of goal. And, the, and this isn't just semantics. It's, it's family on mission. That means we do family and mission all as one natural way of living and following Christ and uh, achieving his purposes in our generation. And, and we have to remember, family is not eternal. Marriage is not eternal. We are not going to be married in heaven. We are not going to be married in eternity. Uh, and there's only going to be one family in eternity. And I obviously don't know how that fully is going to work. But the gospel is eternal. The, 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 the word of God is eternal. And people are eternal. 
So we focus ourselves, therefore, on being now on this side of eternity as, as being families on mission. That makes sense? We tracking? All right. So uh, here's how we're going to grow together in this series. We've, we've tried to think about ways that we could do this series that would make it really growthful for everybody and everybody would be able to take the next step that God has for their family, regardless of where we are. So this next slide just talks about our approach to growth during this series. And first, we're going to ask you today, you received a, uh, something uh, when you came in your program, a little card, and we a- we're going to ask that you think about setting goals for your family over the course of this next 14 weeks. And you can uh, do whatever the Spirit is prompting you. And then whenever you're ready, either today or next week, if you want to hand it in, we're going we're gonna to hold on to these, we're going to pray over them, and then we're going to, near the conclusion of this series, we're going to mail them back to you to refresh your mind on what you committed yourselves to, uh, to let you know that you've been prayed for, and uh, hopefully to be able to see, even in the course of the next three months, some of the progress God is bringing about. We're going to have some Sunday teaching, which has uh, some benefits, but it also has a lot of limitations. So we're going to ask that you read the text uh, quietly with Jesus as we go through it. And we're going to be covering some larger than normal sections of Scripture. And I'm going to be really doing that at a, at a 30,000 foot view. Uh, but I'm going to be encouraging you to look at that yourself and then to get in small groups, the small groups that you're in, if you're not in a small group, to get in a small group with at least one other family and compare notes and share action plans throughout this time. We're going to have some weekly emails which will add resources to what we're doing and give you additional uh, things to think about. And uh, if you want to be on that, text your email address to that phone number there. Uh, we're going to have veteran parent panels. That's uh, parents who've made the mistakes, who've uh, shed the tears, who've uh, lost blood, uh, whatever that looks like, uh, that are going to be available to us, to any family, so you can come. Uh, These are going to be at 9 a.m. during the 9 a.m. service. So you can come, you can drop your kids off downstairs, and you can go upstairs. And in the, it says the rock there, but it's actually going to be in the library on this side upstairs to go and meet with, a, meet with an experienced set of parents and talk through what's going on, pray, etc. It's a way safely for us to transfer the costly wisdom of the older generation to the next generation. Uh, we're going to have some weekend extras to just give additional resources. Uh, the first of these is going to be this coming weekend, the Restoring Lives International Breaking Free Conference. Uh, which is going to be here Friday night and Saturday. Again, uh, a powerful way to step into uh, freedom uh, by understanding more about what the enemy is doing and what God has provided for us in that context. And we're also going to have a seminar on Saturday morning, February 9th, uh, called The TechWise Family. And we're going to be looking at uh, wisdom uh, for families related to technology in the home. And lastly, we have a family's Facebook page. It is a secret group. That is, you can't find it on... That's their terms. You can't find it on Facebook, but you can text your Facebook name to the second cell phone number there, and they will add you 
uh, to that group, and then you'll be able to share with that group. Make sense? Okay, so here's what we're going to try to do. We're going to divide the series into two. We're going to, the first several messages are going to be about the whys of family. And uh, the why topics are God's design for the family, which we're going to cover today, God's strategy for the family next week, the power of multi-generational thinking, the crucial role of the father, the crucial role of the mother, and seeing children as assets, or as it says in Psalm 127, arrows uh, that are uh, part uh, and parcel of a thriving family. The how topics are going to be uh, training. We'll do a week on that, a week on discipline, a week on stewarding resources, a week on the wider scope of the family. That'll be particularly a, a, a dealing with those families that have people living with them, that are fostering, that are adopting, or that are discipling others uh, in their home context. Uh, rhythms and habits, and then defending your family. We're going to have a whole a whole morning on uh, some of the threats to our families and how to defend against those. And then on the last Sunday, which is Palm Sunday, we're going to do a summary morning where we're going to have a sharing service. And we're going to allow each family as they wish to share uh, testimonies, to share uh, a wisdom acquired, and then we will uh, pray for each other. So today I'm going to cruise through the first five chapters of the Bible. All right, I'm not kidding. We are going to go at uh, 20, well, 30,000 feet. Um, And I'm going to do that in order to draw out, I'm not going to read every last bit of it, I'm going to do that to draw out uh, what God is up to. And this is uh, five chapters of the Bible that you can study for a lifetime. So I'm not going to try to draw everything out of that, but I'm going to try to Try to draw out God's design for families. And I'm going to get you to participate a little bit. Uh, and I encourage you again to read these scriptures on your own with your, with your uh, family and also with your small group. And so um, let's just begin uh, reading God's word here together. And you can follow along in your Bibles. I'm in Genesis chapter 1. There's something nice about January uh, snowy day opening the Bible to Genesis 1.1. So here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's the Father. Now the, faith, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And there's the Spirit. And in the third verse of the Bible, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. This is before the creation of the sun and the moon and the stars. And so... I presume this is the light of the world that has come into existence. So in the first three verses of the Bible, we have the presence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God is speaking things into uh, existence. And he says in verse 6, and God said. Again in verse 9, and God said. Again in verse uh, 14, and God said. Again in verse 20, and God said. Again in verse 24, and God said. In verse 26, for the eighth time, then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground, which had just been created. 
So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And for the tenth time, uh, which we may say is the first the first ten commandments, the tenth time, and God said uh, and finishes the created work and says that uh, everything he had made was very good. Thus the heaven and the earth were completed in all their vast array. So God speaks into existence, makes us in his image. Um, there's a lot of uh, uh, power in that because in the day uh, where... Moses is writing this and Israel is becoming a nation. Uh, this uh, is passed down. Uh, we, are, we are in the image of God. There were gods strewn all over the promised land that were image, Ashtarah, Baal, that were images of their God. But we were the walking, living, breathing image of God created by him and for him. And then it goes into a little bit more detail, perhaps a second look at the creation. I'm going to go down to chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. A little bit further in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So work is present before the fall. Work will be present in eternity. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. God creates animals, brings them all to Adam. In verse 20, it says, So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then in the first cloning project... The Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And then finally in verse 24 and 25 of chapter 2, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife. Adam is the, the Hebrew for man. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And that is the creation. And uh, what, do you, what do you see in that? I've got uh, a, a number. Of, let's just leave, it, leave that up there. But let's just, what do you see in that? What are some of the highlights of what you see in the first two chapters of the Bible? Go ahead and pop them out. Creation. creation. All right. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Intentional design. Perfect relationship. Yep. Anybody else? No shame. Yeah. They're together. They're intimate and they're not experiencing shame. She is not wondering if she's having a bad hair day. 
He's not wondering if he's man enough. There's nothing between them. There's no fear. There's no secrets. I believe it's a lot more than physical nakedness. It's emotional nakedness. And uh, there's nothing between them. They are free and uh, experiencing each other without judgment or anything else. All right? Anything else you see? No sin? Okay, yeah, it's a story and it's clearly about God. Uh huh. Perfect work is going on in the garden. Friendship. Friendship with God and friendship with each other. All right, thank you, Tilly. So let me put up my list. I, I think we've got a lot of it, but I want to highlight a few things. That's the next slide there. So we're made in the image of God. That means. We are to be respected and respect each other. And we are a representative of God. We are made in his image. So we're, we're here. To, we're representatives. We're male and female. We're not made unisex. We're made differently. Uh, and that is given equal value by God in chapter 1. We're made to multiply and rule the created order together. So what God has designed is inherently filled with life and he wants us, uh, the, the world is filled with living creatures and he wants us now as his representatives to rule the creative order together. I noticed in chapter 2 that the man was given authority in, in a couple of different ways. He was given the law before Eve was created. And he was also given the authority to name things. Um, we also see that the woman is given the role of a, a suitable helper. And a, another way to translate that word suitable is a helper corresponding to. In other words, she would be different, but her capabilities would correspond to the man's. And that they would be essentially a team. One man and one woman for a fruitful life together. And each family has a separate covenant intimacy and oneness with each other and with God. Because every time a new family is formed, uh, they are leaving their existing families and they are starting something new together. Um, and it was for the reason that uh, God created them that this would be part and the, the, the method of multiplication. All right, so let's, uh, let's keep going now. Let's go through uh, Genesis 3 because now things go terribly badly. So Genesis 3, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, 
who was with her, standing quietly as this went on. And he ate it. Then, when he ate it, the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. But the Lord God called to the man. Didn't go looking for the woman. He went looking for the man. Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. That's the first use of fear in the Bible. And then he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put me with, you put here, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then God speaks to the serpent and then to the woman and then uh, to the man. And he says, in part to the, to the serpent, and in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So some kind of a remedy is promised for this problem that will come later through the the woman. He then speaks to the woman and talks about uh, her difficulty with children, childbirth, and then he says to her, you will desire, your desire will be for your husband, which means you will desire to rule your husband, and he will rule over you. So we're going to have a little battle. And then uh, to the man, he says, By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. So that is is, uh, what I would say uh, the quick tour through what people commonly call the fall, the bad news of our rebellion against God. What do you see in there? Again, 30,000 foot view of Genesis 3. Adam blamed Eve. He's probably the premier blame shifter in the whole story. Yep. Deception. He did. He threw Eve under the bus and he threw God under the bus. Yep. Okay. The man was passive. Um, He had uh, a situation developing right in front of him and he didn't do anything about it. All right. What else? Pardon me? Doubting God's word, yep. Did you notice how God's word had been changed? Right. Eve says you, we're not supposed to touch it. So we, I don't know what happened there, but we can presume that Adam added the command not to touch it so she wouldn't get near the tree. All right. Anybody else? Shame entered. Yep, they were covering themselves up with fig leaves. Uh Uh-huh. Good parenting parenting by by God in the proclamations. Uh Uh-huh. Asking questions, which he already knew the answer to. But, yeah. Okay. God promises a way out. Uh Uh-huh. What else do you see? Yep. He promised they would have children. Amen. Good observation. 
The enemy is crafty and his goal is to destroy the family. So we do have an enemy. Yep. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's take a look at what I had on this. I think uh, you've got most of it. We have a crafty attacking adversary. He loves to make God look like a killjoy. He twists God's word. The man added rules and then abdicated. The woman was vulnerable and alone. The team was divided and defeated. The man was the biggest blame shifter. All right, let's keep going uh, into God's remedy. Uh, And I just want to read a little bit more in chapter 3, verse 20. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. I think this is the point where Adam comes to faith. He believes God that things are going to happen. The Lord and Eve means uh, uh, living. So the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So the, in verse 23, so the Lord handed, banished them from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And in chapter 4, in the first couple of verses, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. I believe this is a moment when Eve comes to faith and uh, recognizes the promises of God coming true. So uh, let's go look at God's gracious response to this whole mess. Uh, The serpent is punished and a savior is promised. The woman will have pain and try to rule the man. The man will eat but work will be very difficult. Adam believes God for life as he names his wife Eve. God kills the first sacrifice to clothe Adam and Eve with skins. So an animal dies for that. Paradise is lost and death becomes a reality. And then Eve believes God for children and gives birth. So we see now God moving to protect this first family and to bring grace to them things that they could not do for themselves so let's go through genesis 4 and 5 now uh, again at the thirty thousand foot view and i'll just read a couple of verses Uh, we see the development of their family Uh, cain kills his brother abel because cain is jealous that abel is giving a good offering to god and cain is giving cain is giving leftovers to god so that uh, we see that uh, Cain uh, uh, is banished. And he says, Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord God said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son, Enoch. But, Enoch, but Cain's line gets uh, progressively worse, and at the end there's a guy named Lamech, and uh, he is, decides to have two wives, um, he uh, decides that he can kill people, and if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech will be avenged 77 times, and that goes downhill. And then, in verse 25, 
Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. And then in the last verse of chapter 4, at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. People began to worship the Lord. And then in chapter 5, we just see a genealogy. It starts with, this is the written account of Adam's family line. And it ends up with the final verse, 32, uh, Noah. And after Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So that's the first five chapters. In, in terms of chapter 4 and 5, what do you see there? Murder, progressive evil. What else do you see? Yep, there's a split between the godly and those who aren't. Yep. Yep, God's grace in granting Seth to Adam and Eve. Absolutely. Consequences of sin. And God's grace, polygamy comes into the story. Yep. So violation of God's design starts happening. Yep. A pleasing offering is given uh, by Abel. And the offering that Cain offered was not pleasing to God. So I I titled those those two chapters, God's Grace Grows. This is what I put down. God accepts Abel's worship gives Cain, he doesn't accept Cain's worship, but he gives Cain grace to grow. He says, hey, look, if you do the right thing, I will accept it. So he gives Cain a second chance. Cain rejects this grace, does not master his sin, which God asked him to master, and he kills his brother. God gives Cain more grace. He gives him a mark so he will survive the avenger of blood. Then we see Cain's generations growing more evil despite grace that they've received. And God gives Adam and Eve another son to replace Abel. More of God's grace. And then uh, God promises uh, life and salvation out of evil and death. And I, uh, we, we don't see that. That's not clearly in the text. But if you look at chapter 5... You look at Adam's line, Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, another Lamech, and Noah. If you look at those names, and what I want to encourage you as we look at some of these families, look at the meanings of their names in the Hebrew. And what you will find is Adam means man, as I said earlier. Next slide. Seth means appointed. Enosh means mortal, miserable. Kenan means sorrow. Mahalalel means a blessed God. Jared means shall come down. Enoch means teaching. Methuselah means his, his death shall bring. Lamech means despairing. And Noah means relief and comfort. And in that list of names, we see the gospel in outline. We see that man is appointed, mortal, miserable, full of sorrow. But the blessed God shall come down teaching. 
His death shall bring despairing people relief and comfort. And there you see the outline. But God is going to bring generations through and he's going to continue to operate in these generations as he is operating in our generations right now. So God's blueprint, if we summarize, is for us is one father, one mother, multiplying and subduing, equal in value, different in roles, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, equally God, but they're playing different roles. They're a team together, this mother and father, just, just as the Trinity is a team. They are walking to God, with God, in intimate unity. So they are naked. There's no shame. There's sexual, emotional, and intellectual unity. There's a promise uh, that man and wife will become one and will be experiencing these things together. There's a, a promise of multiple generations. There's an inherent value of life and children. There's a calling on God that comes, and that comes out of faith and worship. And they are on mission to rule the earth as his image bearers. And image bearers can be like disciples. We're, we're, we're trying to be disciples of Christ. We are his image bearers. So I, I, I would say kingdom families look and live together as a team like God, Son, and Spirit do. And grace abounds to recover all the enemy has stolen from us. All the enemy has stolen from us. Grace comes. Godly people living like Jesus, looking like Jesus, bearing the image of Jesus, will go out and make disciples and multiply and bring the kingdom of God to the earth. This is the picture of Genesis 1 to 5. And Jesus would say later in Luke 8, as his mother and brothers came, it says, Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. And he replied, My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. The kingdom good news of King Jesus is that as we follow him and obey him, we will be fruitful. The design of the kingdom is that we will be fruitful by his power. And as I thought about the first picture I put up this morning, I wanted to pick up a, put up a second picture because then if I think of this message from Genesis 1 to 5 translated into through the lens of Jesus, I began to see that my family is not the first picture I put up, but it's actually uh, the brothers and sisters in Nigeria that I love, the brothers and sisters in this congregation that I love, the brothers and sisters at the New Mission congregation that I love, uh, my family in Canada, two of my sisters who are now with Christ, uh, my, older, my oldest living uncle who now believes uh, and the rest of his family does not yet believe. My mentor, Jerry Kirk, and his wife, Patty, they're part of my family. Uh, I look at the children at the children's home in Mexico. Uh, they are part of my family. I look at the people that traveled to Israel together, and, they, and you can't probably see all the depth. But what I'm trying to show is our families uh, are not just uh, the ones that we see on a daily basis, but they're the ones that God uses us to bring deeper into his family.
And so what I want to encourage you is no matter what your family picture looks like and no matter what it looks like right now, God wants it to flourish and blossom and multiply if we will follow his blueprint. If we will follow his blueprint, he will bring this life and these relationships and this opportunity for us to not only build our families, but to change the world together. And that's the hope of the gospel. And we're going to segue into communion now. The worship team's going to come up. And I want us to grab hold of the promises of God that he has designed family with a particular careful design that he has designed it not to be an end in itself, not to be um, limited in any way, shape, or form by biology, but he's designed it to include all the realms of uh, physical, emotional, intellectual, but mostly spiritual, where we have this privilege of bearing his image and bringing the kingdom through our families. That on mission, we can be the people God designed. We can live the way God designed because Jesus gave his life for us to bring us back into relationship with the Father, to take back what the enemy stole in Genesis chapter 3 and to restore us and strengthen us and move us. And so God has in mind that we would commit ourselves to embark on this journey of building strong families together. And so we're going to move into a time of worship and communion. I encourage you to pray over your goals for this time. How do you want God to grow your family? How do you want God to uh, be glorified in the mission of the kingdom through your family? Who are the relationships that you want to focus on and develop and grow? And then when you're ready, we're going to just have some meditative music here to begin with. But when you're ready, come up to communion as a family or maybe two families. If you're here uh, by yourself then connect with one of the families you know and come up and we've, we've got four communion stations this morning so that families can, instead of just grabbing it, families can take a minute uh, around the table and can recognize that everything I'm saying is possible because Christ died for us. That he gave his life, his body, the bread, his blood, the juice, as a new covenant undertaking that would take all, all of the sin, all of the error, all of the ways we have missed the mark, would set us free from that, would make us white as snow, as we sung earlier, and then would, by the Spirit's power, fill us up. And I, I pray, after you have communion, ask for the Spirit, as you confess your sins, ask for the Spirit to fill you to leave here today as those families that will take the next step in their mission. And let God guide us in this time. Let God change us any way he wants. So, Father, we, we thank you for your design of family. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that the story 
as badly as it, as beautifully as it started and as badly as it turned, is now being redeemed through your son Jesus. And we thank you for that, Lord. And we ask that you would make us missional families. Transform us, Lord, as your image bearers into missional families. And I pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Prayer teams.